0: Amen. I'm very grateful to Lisa. She puts a lot of work into learning new songs. She do a great job. Uh, our other piano players do as well, but I just want to point that out. So our scripture reading today is from the book of Hebrews. If you brought your Bible with you, or if you want to grab a pew Bible in front of you, or if you want to pull it up on your phone, some people uh, read their Bible on their phone, and that's, that's all fine as well. Uh, you can open to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. If you don't know where that is, you know what I tell the kids on Wednesday nights when I read the Bible with them? Ages 4 through, or grades fourth through sixth grade. you know what I tell them? Table of contents. Just like any other book, right? Just, oh, where's Hebrews? Oh, so, there it is. Yeah. So hear these words, God's words from Hebrews, chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great Consider him who endured such hostility against himself from sinners, so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as children. My children do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, or lose heart when you are punished by him. For the Lord disciplines those whom he loves and chastises every child whom he accepts. Endure trials for the sake of discipline. God is treating you as children. For what child is there whom a parent does not discipline? If you do not have that discipline in which all children share, then you are illegitimate and not his children. Moreover, we have had human parents to discipline us, and we respected them. Should we not be even more willing to be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as, they, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in his holiness. Now, discipline always seems painful rather than pleasant at the time. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Who am I? Who am I? That's perhaps the the most important question that any of us could ask ourselves. Mm And What are the most important parts of who we are? My answer to that final question has changed dramatically over the last 10 years or so. I used to think when I would think about who am I, which I honestly didn't think very often about, I used to think things like, well, I'm a Twins fan. That's who I am. Now I say that reluctantly, maybe not at all. (laughs) I used to say I'm an assistant golf course uh, grounds crew superintendent. I manage a grounds crew outside. That's That's a big part of who I am. That's what I used to say. I used to say I'm a graduate of... University of Minnesota, Crookston, that's who I am. But now I say things like, well, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm not perfect, but I do my best to follow Jesus. I'm, of course, a husband. I'm a father. I'm a pastor. I'm a substitute teacher in the schools. And recently I say to people, I'm a person in recovery for codependency because of having an alcoholic A loved one. And still, part of my identity is being a son and a brother. You see, it's gotten a lot more complicated. But which part of me, which one of those parts is the most important? That's not something that you can answer for me, is it? That's something that I need to sort through and and identify for myself. And what I want to tell you today is that clarity about who we are, about our identity. And the most important parts of our identity gives us grounding and strength in life. It makes it easier for us to make decisions about our limits. These are things we've been talking about for, this is the sixth week of talking about the experience of overwhelm that is so common to most. If we know who we are, it makes it easier to make decisions about our limits, about slowing down makes it easier to say no to things and to say yes to the right things if we know who we are and what's most important about us. Knowing who we are is a key element in overcoming overwhelm with Jesus. And yet, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but identifying who we are and what parts of who we are are most important can be a very difficult process. Would you agree with that? Is that a hard thing to sort through? hasn't always been that way. For most of human history, people learned their identity through community. There was no other option but to learn about who am I and where do I fit in through community and the relationships that you were a part of in your life. That's just how it worked. You were born in a place. You had to find your, your role in that society or that culture. And you discovered who you were through those different experiences. And, and that just continued to morph. And people were, would be a part of like an organization or a workplace, or for a big part of uh, history in the United States, it would be groups like uh, the Legion, or Masons, or Boy Scouts, or hopefully Church. All these places help shape and reinforce your identity and understanding, who am I? Not necessarily something you thought about and wrote out all the time, but you just lived as if that's who you were. And family, of course, is a big part of that. For most of human history, that's how our identity has been shaped well things have changed haven't they things have changed dramatically we have more capability than ever to form our identities think about this we can choose how we want to reinforce our identities with all the technological advances and and things like a car we can move to any area that we want and we can save money in a bank did you know when this this change, this uh... The shift in how our identities are formed, do you know when it changed? Not with the car, not with the internet, with the establishment of a bank. Think about it. Because before that, people couldn't move. You have to be able to save up enough money to, to move and buy a house and maybe buy land. Way back when the banks first started, started you got started, you have to buy land and be able to farm and, and things like that. You can't just make a move like that. And now we're just... <laughs> What's me? What's really me? I don't know. know, Where do I want to live? What kind of car do I want to drive? Those are kind of the things we think about now when we think about who am I. We have more capability than ever to shape our identities through the content that we consume. These are two major ways. Through the content that we consume, primarily online, but also the books that we read and the people that we surround ourselves with. And friends, we need to understand this truth as well, that with great power to shape our identity, if we have so much control over this responsibility, then we are responsible to steward it well. So it's up to you and I to clarify what parts of our identity are most important and then take steps to reinforce and strengthen it as the foundation of our lives. We need to pay attention to what kind of content are we exposing our minds to and in what ways, and, and how are we doing that, and how often do we consume that content? And most important, I think this is most important, is who are we surrounding ourselves with? What kind of people are we surrounding ourselves with? And are they helping to reinforce that part of our identity that we think is most important? So how many of you know Mrs. Hansen, substitute teacher here in town? She used to be a teacher here for a long time. Yep, lots of people do, if, especially if you're plugged into the schools right now. Mrs. Hansen subs all the time, and she told one of the kids as part of our congregation, she told the class that day, surround your people, surround yourself with people that you want to be like. Amen, Mrs. Hansen. Nailed it. That's, that if there's one thing that you could take away from this message today, it's that fundamental principle. Surround yourself with people that you want to become like. Sounds pretty good. It's not always that easy, is it? Sometimes the people in our lives don't want us to change. So as we're changing, say you're coming to the church and you're growing in faith and and you're breaking free from old things that used to keep you down. If you start to change and you start to really become your true self in Jesus, that's unnerving for the people around you. Because if we're in a relationship And I start to change like a lot, and like really just growing confidence and clarity about who I am. And I feel comforted by God, and you know I'm just feeling really healthy in all kinds of ways. That's going to put pressure. I'm picking on you, (laughs) Deb. That's going to put pressure on you, because now we have to find the new foundation for our relationship. So it's really challenging. Actually, that's the kind of resistance that we come across when we're trying to make any change in our life. Right now, I'm trying not to eat sugar. And you know what? When I turn down a dessert, I get, oh. <laughs> because now it's like, you know, I don't, no offense, you know? I just want to fit into my pants. I don't want to have to buy new pants. It's as simple as that. You know? But any time we change, it, it kind of reflects back to the other person something about themselves. And most of us don't like change. I don't like change. But that's just the reality. So we have to put, surround ourselves with people who will reinforce those things that we are saying are most important about ourselves. It's super hard. It's hard with family and with old friends. Sometimes, don't you wish that maybe there's a person in your family that you're like, yep, I definitely have it in my mind right now. That person is not helpful. Anytime that I'm wanting to change, they're just trying to push me back into the old me. You would, wouldn't you like to just say, Bye-bye! <laughs> just saying, right? Because some, for some people, it is so hard and they're so important. This is an important point, uh, point to make. We love them so much and they're so important to us that we can't imagine not having them in our lives, right? But yet, it's so frustrating when they just can't accept that we've changed and we've become a new person. And so, I have a really practical example of this from uh, one of my friendships, a, a lifelong friend that has, was really close to me during times where I did a lot of things that I regret, a lot of those things that I uh, have shared with you when I failed out of school and when I drank way too much and just had a lot of issues in my life. And we were really close at that time. And over the summer, he was making jokes while we were together that were referencing that time when we were, you know, bumming around together. And I was really at first kind of offended. You know, like, of all the things we could talk about, why are you making jokes about the old Chad from, like, close to 20 years ago? You know, why are you trying to reinforce that part of my identity? And it's because he hasn't grown in the same way that I have. You know, he's not changed. And so for him, it's uncomfortable to talk about the parts of me that I'm most proud of now. Let's make jokes. I'm fine with jokes. You want to tease me, but you know, please make jokes about my life now that don't stir up guilt and shame from my past that I know I'm forgiven for in, in Christ Jesus. But I would like to be around people who reinforce the identity of you're a person who loves the Lord and is seeking after the Lord. You're a person who is committed to being a good father. And i Gina, good father... I think so. Yeah, I try. You know, I try like the rest of us guys. Yeah, I try. <laughs> you know, I'm a substitute teacher. I'm a person who's giving my heart to the recovery community. That's who I am now. So make jokes all day long about that kind of stuff. But it's a good example that I wanted to share with you today because sometimes people are like that in our life. It does not mean that they don't love us. It does not mean that we don't love them, clearly. I choose to be around that friend and other people in my life who, it's hard. But we have to acknowledge that that's just the reality, that for some reason or another, maybe they're stuck, maybe they're overwhelmed, maybe they're comfortable, they're just not super excited about the new person that you're becoming. The only way that I could see this clarity, this contrast with this friend who I'm talking about today is because I had a contrast in my life. Now because of the commitments that I've made to growing in faith, being a part of the recovery community, stepping out in faith to be a substitute teacher, I have contrasts in my life about who I am. I know, I can spot it a mile away that that's not who I am. And it, it wasn't so much that I was defeated by that, I just noticed what was happening. It's because now I have people in my life who reinforce this identity as being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I'm reminded of that identity every time that we share our life together. We say what's going on in our life and we pray for one another. And I'm reminded that this is who I am. I'm a person who is growing in faith and walking with other brothers and sisters in the faith. I'm reminded of what God is doing in my life. My kids remind me of uh, my identity as a father, that I'm loved deeply as their daddy. When they leave me little notes, they draw me little pictures, and they write as best they can, you know, dad or whatever. And they make little stick figures and whatever. And every time I see one, it's not just that it's nice. It is nice that they do that. But it just reminds me that you're doing a good job. And this is the most important, one of the most important parts of who you are. Most importantly, these moments and these people are a means of receiving God's grace, of actually receiving God's grace... And seeing that my truest identity, my truest identity, and what I want to tell you today is this: is your truest identity, is that you are a person loved by Jesus Christ. That's your truest identity. In Colossians chapter three, we read those are who who are in Christ, who are disciples, uh, following Jesus, abiding with Jesus. We read in Colossians as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. That's who you are. When we're baptized, when we're seeking after Jesus, that's who we become, are people who are loved by God deeply and in every part of our lives. And so surrounding ourselves with people who remind us of this truth is essential for overcoming overwhelm. It's essential. We must believe that God loves us no matter what is happening in our lives. We must believe that and that others are watching out for us. They've got our back. And that our current circumstances, no matter what they are, no matter how good they are, no matter how poor they are, they don't define us. They don't say who we really are. We have to surround ourselves with people who reinforce that part of our identity. I'm guessing most people don't have that, those people in your life. As I've heard from a lot of you one-on-one, just say that's not the kind of relationships that I have. That's okay. But it's helpful to sort out the different parts of your identity and think about who or what reinforces those parts. So you might be wondering, what's this chicken scratch design up here? (laughs) What on earth? (laughs) Isn't this All Saints Day? Shouldn't it be something beautiful? This is. It's just my own form of beauty. Here's the different parts of an average person's identity, okay? This is how you can visualize it. So for some, uh, everybody here, most people here, church member or church attender. That's when you think of who am I, that might come to mind. Uh, hopefully community member. You think I'm a member of Lake Crystal, Mankato, or Nicollet. Uh, sports, big part of my identity. I'm a coach. I'm a, a Vikings fan, I know, sorry. You know, <laughs> I do offer counseling, just saying. <laughs> just kidding, I like the Vikings too. Uh, work, you think about, that's a huge one, huge one, especially for guys. You know, I am, I am what I do. I am what I do, the projects I do, the, the, my value in the workplace. Well, that friends, that's just a part of you. That's just a part of you. Uh, for some, a student. I'm a student. I'm a parent. I'm a spouse. And you could add in whatever else you would like. Now, some of these, maybe more than what I've drawn out here, will have areas of overlap. Right? Like, I can't really separate out being a parent and a spouse. They're just, they're woven tightly. And, and others might have the same effect. Now, in all these different areas, I bet it's pretty easy for you to think about who reinforces my identity as a student. Well, for me, when I was a student, getting my master's for being a pastor, I was other students. That really, <laughs> that really helped reinforce that. Uh, in the workplace, all the farmers, Right? You know, they, they help reinforce that. People who get everything about farming. Uh, sports, you know, fellow fans. Church members, of course, I would hope that that reinforces, like, this is who we are. It's Cornerstone UMC. Look at, you know, it's, I'm a part of this. Now, the harder one is when we say disciple. person who is committing their life to Jesus and opening themselves to understand God's truth and then and understand who God is and, and grow in relationship with God, grow in grace, and then say, how can I open my heart to receiving that truth, which I need to be constantly reminded of that truth, and then allow the Holy Spirit to change me in the context of community. Who are the people in my life who are reinforcing that part of my identity? That's really what we're talking about here today. Because if you need other people to reinforce these other parts of your identity, which are pretty natural ways to live, right? These are all, all these other ones are pretty natural ways to live. If you need other people to reinforce your identity for those, how much more do you need people who will walk with you in a discipleship journey, who can provide encouragement and strength and just the bonds of friendship and relationship? We need people like that in our lives if we want to grow in grace. What I want you to see as most important is this area of being a disciple is the most important part of your identity, holy and beloved, in Christ, the, the words that we've talked about, because the reality is that this circle going around the outside is your in Christ self, meaning that as you grow in discipleship, as you grow in your relationship with God, it has significant Uh, influence on all the other parts of your identity. All the other parts. It enhances your parenting and your relationships. Uh, Your workplace is going to be changed as you are growing in grace and receiving uh, comfort and encouragement from the Holy Spirit. You're finding your fit here as a church member. What are my gifts? Who am I? How can I live them out? What do I need to say no to? All of this community member affected by your growing in grace in relationship with jesus this is your most important part of your identity your belovedness to jesus but friends we need time we need space and we need people to remind us of that truth against the lies of shame and guilt and fear against the cultural influences you know If you think about the way that you're shaped and formed through engagement on the internet or through what you watch, how many hours do you spend in those spaces? It's shaping you. It's reinforcing some part of your identity. So at minimum, we need to have a contrast environment where we're also being shaped in understanding who God is and who we are and experiencing that together, a shared experience. This is how Methodism began. I'm not just making this up and saying this is what we should do now just because it sounds like a good idea to me. This is how Methodism began. This was actually, uh, this was the origins of the United Methodist Church. John Wesley, who was the founder of the UMC, it was the Methodist movement at the time, became uh, Methodism, then became the United Methodist Church. He came up with what was called a class meeting. And they were required, if you wanted to be Methodist, especially in America when Methodism was the third fastest growing uh, denomination in America and spreading westward along with the frontier, it was required to be a part of a class meeting. So when our church started out in 1856, I can almost guarantee that it was a requirement to be a part of a class meeting where you would gather with uh, 8 to 12 people and you would grow in faith together. And historians agree that uh, as those declined as those meetings declined so did methodism it started and that the the presence of those meetings were actually the main reason that methodists grew as a denomination so i want to read from you this this is a historian who wrote this book called the class meeting the whole book we're going to read it we're going to read chapter one you ready no i'm just kidding (laughs) you're like it's already long this is good, and this, is probably, this might be the most important sermon that I'll share with you for an entire year. It's so important that we understand who we are and then how to do something about that. So this is what this, is what this author says, uh, Kevin Watson, about uh, the class meeting. He says, The phrase that best captures what the Methodists believed was so important about the class meeting was actually not Bible study. It wasn't just growing in information and like, oh, Oh, I already read the Bible. I already know, you know the stories about the Bible, so I don't need that anymore. No, the most important thing was watching over one another in love. Early Methodists were asked to invite others into their lives and to be willing to enter deeply into the lives of other people so that together they would grow in grace. They were committed to the idea that Christian life is a journey of, grow, of growth and grace or sanctification, growing in holiness. And they believed that they needed one another in order to perse- persevere on this journey. And then I, there's a lot here, but I'll say. Wesley felt that the class meeting was so important that he believed that its decline would weaken Methodism itself. It was like prophetic almost. He knew it. He came up with it and he also knew if you take this out, Methodism is going down. And that's where, that's where we're at, friends. He knew that this would weaken Methodism itself. He wrote, these are Wesley's words, never omit your class or band. A band was like three or four people that really opened themselves to one another. Never absent yourself from any public meeting. These are the very sinews of our society and whatever weakens or tends to weaken or regard for these, our regard for these, or our exactness in attending them strikes at the very root of our community. And so instead of, like, studying the Bible and saying, okay, this is the Bible passage that we're going to study tonight, they would just start by, this says, uh, they would gather together. Someone would open with prayer. The group would sing a song or two. Nowadays, we could put a video on. You know, we don't have to sing. That would be awkward. We're not going to do that. And then the class leader, not the pastor, a class leader would just ask the question, how does your soul prosper? I, I actually ask this question to people. I just say, how is it with your soul? Not what information did you learn this week? What stories do you remember of the Bible when you were little? I say, how is it with your soul? What's going on within you? You know, how are you remembering that you are loved by Jesus? And so small groups are our key way that we can tap into this part of our, our heritage, part of our DNA, and actually bring a revival, a renewal, into the faith. But, but we, each of you, have to be willing to step into that space to try and sort through, you know, what are the parts of my identity and what am I doing that reinforces that? And so, so today on All Saints Day, I just wanted to point out that sometimes it's not just the people here and now that remind us of who we are. Sometimes it's those whom we've loved and lost that have gone before us in the faith, that help us to remember our identity. Maybe it's grandma or mom, a dear friend or a former pastor, a historical figure or a saint. These are the people that we remember and give thanks to on All Saints Day. And it's the memories that we have of their people, of these people, their witness of a life of faith, that continually reinforces our faith and our hope. And that's really why we read this text from the book of Hebrews. The author of Hebrews talks about a great cloud of witnesses. These people are around us in a spiritual sense. They're around us, sort of reminding us of who we are and cheering us on. So in this text we read, uh, it starts out with, Therefore, well anytime you see that in the text you should say, Why is that there? What's going on before that? Because that's sort of a concluding statement. So if we look back, the author of Hebrews is talking about this is who you are, this is what you come from. First with the definition of faith. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. Indeed, by faith our ancestors received approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the Word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. So then, the author goes through all these examples of people that we can remember to understand this is what it means to live a life of faith. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain's. Then by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called, called to set out for a place that he was going. Then we read about Abraham again. And Moses. And then we read about David and Solomon and Samson, Gideon. All these people, by faith, they did great things for God. All these persons and the prophets, they lived a life of faith and were commended for it. Though things didn't turn out the way that they'd hoped. That's not the end goal of our life in faith, is that we'll just get what we hope for. That's actually this. what I started with it kind of gets taken out of context. That's what it means to have faith, that whatever we hope for, it just happens. You now, what we should be hoping for is that God's work would be done in us, that we would be changed, that this most important part of our identity uh, would, would be evident in our lives. Therefore, this is who we are. Because this is who we are, let's lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely to us, keeping us captive, keeping us stuck, Let's run the race with perseverance. Let's continue to look to Jesus who is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith and identity and consider Jesus and what he did for you so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. In other words, remember who you are so that that you're not overcome by overwhelm. Friends, each of us must make a decision, choice, to surround ourselves with people who reinforce this most important part of our identity, just like Mrs. Nancy said. <laughs> who are those people in your life? What are those steps that you could take in this direction? I know we have lots of, we have growing opportunities within our church, different small groups. I'm going to share those in a few minutes in announcements. What are those memories of past saints that you can remember and think of? Yeah, those pe- I remember grandpa. Hopefully you remember a grandpa who read the Bible or led you in prayer, or grandma, or mom, or dad. Where are you receiving truth about God and specifically about Jesus? What's the space for that where you're taking that, those truths in? Where's the space and time with disciples in the context of worship in small group? Let me end with this. This is who you are. Let me remind you of who you are. These are. This is encompassing of all other parts of you. A person who is made in the image of God. Loved by God. Part of the lineage and family of Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, David, the prophets, John Wesley, and Jesus. Jesus. The disi- you are disciples of Jesus. You are part of the lineage of first UMC in the old building, and now Cornerstone UMC. Disciples of Jesus Christ and persons of faith. So let's remember and reinforce those identities together and follow Jesus out of overwhelm. Amen. I'd like to take just uh, 30 seconds.